0: This episode is sponsored by Pearson Instruments. Brad Pearson is a luthier and guitar tech based in South Vancouver in the Marpole neighborhood. He's also a bassist who plays in the jazz scene and is a big supporter of local music in general. Take your string instruments to Brad to get them sounding beautiful and feeling great. Brad is always quick to turn around repair jobs and will put in all the work your instrument needs. Go to pearsoninstruments.ca to learn more about Brad and what he does. That's pearsoninstruments.ca to learn more. Thanks to Brad for sponsoring the show.
1: What's unique is that it just feels like we're in our own universe. It feels like the rest of Canada doesn't really care. We have our own world that we create here, and so much of Vancouver is underground. Yeah, it just feels like the wild, wild west.
0: Hello and welcome to Pacific Sound Radio, your go-to source for everything happening in the Vancouver music scene. I'm James Olson, and this week we are speaking with Devours. Devours is the main musical project of vocalist and producer Jeff Kincaid. Over the course of four albums, Devours has carved a unique niche in the Vancouver music scene, with his gothic and glitchy brand of dance music pulling influences ranging from top 40 pop, industrial rock, metal, and professional wrestling. Before we get to our chat with Jeff, let's take a listen to my favorite song off of his latest record, Homecoming Queen. This is (laughs) Hairspin. so jeff uh very happy to have you on the show i know last time we spoke it was fairly early into the pandemic so that was a video call it's really great for me to be able to have you on the show in person so yeah thanks for
1: having me James I'm happy to be here yeah
0: what have you been listening to lately
1: ooh I've been listening to Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness by Love Smashing Pumpkins I've also been listening to
0: a rapper named Ice Spice I'm much more <laughs> familiar with uh, Smashing Pumpkins than Ice Spice but I've heard things about Ice Spice Ice Spice is the next big thing from the Bronx Ooh a new female rapper
1: that's getting a lot of attention. Uh, yeah. Uh, what else? I've been listening to, um, my album quite a bit, I guess to just make sure that I didn't screw up the mixing. (laughs) A little
0: too late now Now that it's on Spotify. I'm like, Oh, it sounds weird. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Do you have a favorite song off melancholy? Oh my God. That's That's one of my, all of them. Uh, I
1: love Bodies. I love Ooh. Jelly Belly. Yeah, just like the heavier stuff. But everything is great on it, actually. I, I love the album.
0: When I saw them in, I want to say October or November, they actually played We Only Come Out at Night, which wow. was a really pleasant surprise. I was cut. just like, what the hell? <laughs> Didn't wow. see that coming.
1: Was that a good show? I've never actually seen them live. I've seen many like YouTube clips of them performing and stuff, but I've never seen them
0: live. So. Yeah, I've seen them twice, so I'm, I'm pretty good on pumpkins i mean they were okay. a huge band i was uh, really into them when i was in high school and you know obviously my ch- tastes have expanded mm-hmm. uh, since then the first time i saw them was down in seattle uh, and it was a uh, like a reunion tour with james eha and jimmy chamberlain wow and they played for like three hours and they played like every basically everything you'd want to hear off the first five albums wow. except for muzzle which is my favorite melancholy song but no way Whoa. yeah okay but they played Porcelina of the vast oceans during that tour. So that was great. Love that song. So in comparing the two shows, I would say the, I like the first one more just because they played more older stuff. They're this most recent tour. They played some more newer material, which I'm kind of, you know, give or take when it, when it comes to it. Yeah. Although there was, you know, as I said with, uh, they played, we only can't come out at night, which was awesome. They actually ended the show with silver fuck, which was, Oh my God. So that was really cool to, to, to hear but yeah, overall, like, I'd say if you haven't seen them, they're worth seeing just to say, hey, I've seen Smashing Pumpkins. Totally. But, yeah, they're they're legends for sure. Talking about your project, Devourers, and I've wanted to have you on the show to talk about Devourers for quite some time now. Your music and visual aesthetic pull from a variety of influences. So I'm curious as to how you developed the Devourers sound and appearance. Ooh, okay. That's it. A- that's
1: a tough one because this is album number four mm. for me. And so the project isn't super new anymore. And every album cycle, I change my look. Yeah. Like my aesthetic a little bit for it. And so, yeah, I think that originally, um, I I don't know, like I've been making electronic pop music since I was a kid, basically. I grew up with the synthesizer that I still perform with live, actually. And so, yeah, I've just made a lot of songs on my synth growing up. And uh yeah, even though I've always been a little bit more of like a rock, like punk uh, person, then like I listen to that more than electronic pop music. Um, I'm not good at playing the guitar. And so I think that I just use my synth to make <laughs> like most of my songs are rock songs that just don't have guitar on it. So they're just like synthesizer songs. Uh, and so, yeah, hard to know what my like influences are. I guess Smashing Pumpkins is a huge one. Uh, Nine Inch Nails is a really big one. Everyone from like Missy Elliott and Timbaland to like Pharrell's early stuff with the Neptunes. Um, Yeah, like I sort of like Britney Spears, they're like Max Martin. Uh, Yeah, so like uh, there are some pretty like disparate influences of just like really heavy stuff like Slipknot or then like Bubblegum Pop and stuff like that. Uh, In terms of the aesthetic, I. Felt like back in around 2015 or so when I was getting this project started. um, I didn't really have a place in Vancouver. Uh, There were like so few bands locally making electronic music and a lot of them were just like wearing black and stuff like that, which is which is fine. Um, But I was going through a period in the gay community where I was feeling like I didn't even belong in that community because there is a lot of pressure to sort of like dress masculine and seem like more butch than, than you are because a lot of gay guys are obsessed with masculinity and at the time I was like you know what I feel like I want to do something just different for the scene and I so for like my first album I wore a pink dress and called it late bloomer and wanted it to just sort of be like this floral like motif through the album and since then the, the project has morphed into slightly more of like a goth thing. But yeah. And nowadays, there's a genre called hyper pop, which I'm sure you've heard of, which I guess I was doing back then, but didn't know it because the genre didn't have a name yet. And so I think that. uh Yeah, sorry, this is a really, really long answer. Oh, right. <laughs> I'm just trying to think of like how I became what I am now, I guess, maybe just a bunch of a bunch of things, colorful, queer, sometimes goth. <laughs> there you go.
0: Yeah, obviously, going to dig into that in a few different uh, directions. Is uh, of course you've been releasing music as Devour since 2016, so I'm curious yeah. as to how your approach to your craft has evolved over the years.
1: Oh, that's a very thoughtful question. Yeah, um, I think that Late Bloomer was a huge breakthrough for me in terms of uh, producing because I like I produce and mix and master all of my own stuff, and I think that once I got the formula right and it seemed to be taken seriously by by critics and music industry people back in 2016 i was like wow this is like i've locked it in and so since then i haven't necessarily like tinkered with the the producing formula that much it's just sort of a combination of like trial and error after many 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 years of doing this by myself and so um but yeah i don't know like uh times change i get bored of my own sounds that i'm using and i try to tweak little things to make it interesting for for people yeah I
0: don't know. So just tweaks as you go along, essentially. Uh, Yeah, yeah, but like I think that as I grow, like as we all get older, like
1: we get more like exposed to more music, you know. And so I think that like my influences are constantly changing, and I'm like, oh wow, I used to think that that was cool, but that's really mainstream, and now I've discovered cooler underground things that maybe influence me and like we're always changing our influences are always changing i guess and so yeah that's not a very like clear answer i guess but <laughs>
0: yeah as you had uh alluded to actually and this is something i've definitely noticed is um your music features elements that became defining traits of that hyper pop Micro genre, yeah. But interestingly, it predated its cultural emergence by a couple years. So I'm curious as to how you view your art in relation to a musical movement like that, especially as a number of the major hyperpop artists are queer.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's it's neat. It was a very strange coincidence. Uh, but I guess that you know it's, it's great to see so many like uh, so like queer people making interesting electronic music. Um, I don't. I don't really listen to a ton of hyper-pop. I think that a lot of it is sort of like style over substance, um, and so I've just tried really hard to make my music. I don't mean, think this is going to sound like really like cringy, but like to to like no one wants to get trapped inside of a, a trend or a genre, right? Like you're always yeah, trying to transcend whatever the current trend is, and so. Yeah, I think that a goal of mine has always been to just write lyrics that are actually really like honest and more personal than a lot of that, like the hyper style stuff that's like made it huge on like Spotify and the radio and stuff like that. And so, um, but yeah, like the genre is, is neat. Good for those artists who blew up. <laughs> I'm still hiding underground in Vancouver and that's life.
0: I just found it interesting that, like, I wasn't made aware of Hyperpop until I think I saw, uh, I took one of my buddies to a, a show at Redgate that you were playing. Oh, and okay. And then when we were leaving the leaving the gig, because I think he was giving me a ride or whatever, uh, he said, like, oh, I, you know, I like Devourers' music. It reminds me of uh, PC music. And he played me, like, some, like, Charlie XCX cool. um, yeah, yeah. tracks that had been produced by A.G. Cook. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, this is kind of similar. Yeah. And that was my introduction to to Hyperpop. And, I um, see, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. A.G. Cook is amazing. Sophie was like so incredible and is definitely an influence on on my music. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That one Sophie record. Uh, <laughs> I'll admit I've only really listened to it uh, front to back once just because it is challenging. But what a okay. what a ma- amazing piece of like just avant-garde yeah. work. Yeah. yeah, yeah
1: Such a visionary yeah. producer for for sure. Yeah. Then
0: there's uh, I mean, I, I'm not sure if um, if they're uh, connected to hyper pop per se, but there's you know, I'm sure you're aware of like ARCA Oh yeah. yeah, Arca's amazing <laughs> every, too. Every every record that Arca puts out is just a lot in yeah. a good way. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Very
1: like these artists were not only really like uh, like creative producers, but their aesthetics were like on point too. So that was impressive. Like they're they're very good. Along with someone like they're, like Grimes, for instance, who isn't mm-hmm. necessarily hyper-pop, but they're very good with like um they're good like visual storytellers. Yes, and so that though like those artists have been inspiring for me because. Like growing up, I've tried to experiment and make the most like interesting, unique music that I could. But I think that I sort of struggled in my 20s as well to just be like, well, I just look like a regular guy who's balding and has a, a beard. And I, I struggled a little bit to come up with like a, a look that worked for what I was doing.
0: And so, yeah, those artists have been like influential in, in more ways than one, for sure. Speaking of which, uh, each album cycle for Devourers has included a new style or look. How has each of your looks symbolized your journey as an artist?
1: Ooh, these are such good questions, James. Thank you. Nice. <laughs> uh, yeah, so as mentioned, like that first album was more sort of like feminine and floral, which was a little bit of like a reaction at the time to what I felt was like mainstream. And then the next album just sounded darker. Iconoclast was the second album and I was wearing this sort of like pseudo-religious <laughs> garm and uh, yeah so that was a little bit of like a foray into to like gothic stuff and then the last album that I put out was called Escape from Planet Devours and that one was uh, very like red and black and my head was painted red to make it look like my scalp had burnt off because and that one was sort of like an action blockbuster movie. It was it was like a mini double album that was really upbeat, and I wanted it to be a little bit like Blade Runner and and stuff like that, and like Escape from L.A. Um, and then yeah, with Homecoming Queen, I'm wearing this sort of like uh, metal ga- or this uh, like headpiece that it looks a little bit like a crown, and um, so it's a little bit more like f- uh, feminine and. Uh, So, so yeah, I think that I've always um, felt like a very like feminine gay man and I've wanted to mix uh, like, like masculine and feminine, uh, like imagery and like fashions uh, into my music. And so, uh, so yeah, I think that I was like, you know, and sometimes I just get, get bored too, you know, like if I make an album where I'm like dressed in black, then the next one, I might want to make it colorful. Yeah. So like times, times change. And yeah. Also, I try to find outfits that I, that aren't too heavy when I perform. That's a, that's a major thing. Like I sometimes come up with these really crazy, like colorful outfits or garments that I want to perform in. And then I sweat too much live and I'm like, let's just take my clothes off. And so this current one is like me basically wearing this, like, black pleather skirt that i got at salvation army mixed with like suspenders and no shirt underneath and that feels great to perform in so
0: perfect for summer performances yeah for sure.
1: exactly yeah verboden festival in 30 degree weather it's outdoors at green auto oh nice yeah they have an outdoor stage oh, now and so oh
0: yeah yeah. that's good well it is the season so i know yeah i know we talked about this uh and this will be a, a a deep cut for for listeners, go back and listen to the Golden Age of Wrestling episode. But I know we had talked about the influence of wrestling on uh, your music, and I'm curious as to the impact uh, or influence it might have had uh, on uh, Devourers.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think, like, musically, it hasn't really influenced Devourers at all. But just in terms of the the image, you know, of just seeing these guys who were just sort of regular j- jocks. Like, I've never been a, a jock or anything, but you just see these guys who are like, regular guys who um, – it's it's basically like theater like they need to create an alter ego they need to have an aesthetic and a, a look and a character and that um i think that that's something that when i was approaching 30 i was like i think that's what i'm missing i have the music down but no one is like paying a- attention to it like you sort of need to have a th- a, th- a thing i don't want to call it a gimmick but um i think that wrestling is all about like gimmicks and personalities and stuff like that i've i've learned so much about like the industry and about how to like market yourself from from growing up watching wrestling and for the golden age of wrestling and for devourers both of them are uh, sort of like characters i guess that reflect my real life but
0: yeah yeah you've got to look for both it's very distinct yeah
1: yeah yeah, I, i i try to again like if if I was naturally like a really attractive like cool trendy looking person, then maybe I wouldn't feel compelled to, like dress up and be such a weirdo. But I think that you know,
0: done what I've had to, <laughs> in some ways, yeah. Your 2019 record, Econoclast, uh, was released on Artifact Records. With your most recent two records released on your own label, Surviving the Game. Yeah, what made you decide to release your music independently going forward?
1: Um, I am a little bit of a control freak. So I think that that's basically, you know, I don't want to like point fingers or blame any one or anything or like rant against m- the music industry or labels or anything. Some labels are fine. uh, But I think that I, I kind of believe that um, like everything worthwhile in the music industry has to come from real relationships with people whether it's, like, people who come to your show, you need to have relationships with them, whether it's people in the industry. Like, it's a business negotiation. You need to have, like... You need to be on the same page with people. And I think that Vancouver's a tough city for musicians because there's such little infrastructure here and there are so few labels that I think that... Um, at that point with Iconoclast, I was eager to try to, like, get my name out there more. Was worried about plateauing in Vancouver and was like, oh, I want to get my my name out. And so... I worked with a label that didn't. I didn't really have much of a, a personal relationship with. Like they, they're not based in Vancouver, and so, yeah. I think that we sort of like had different ideas of certain things, and I, um, like, I wasn't prioritized on on the label. Maybe if I was like close friends with the label, then that would have been a different situation. You never, you never know. So I think that. Um, basically after working with a label on that album moving forward I I had the opportunity to actually keep working with that label but I just wanted to do things on my own terms and it also had to do with vinyl that was a big thing like when I was playing a lot of shows for iconoclast at at shows people were asking for vinyl but I wasn't allowed to put iconoclast on vinyl I
0: think I even asked you about that
1: yeah yeah and so that was one of uh, a few reasons why I was like you know what I think that like if I save up some money I can do this my myself and so yeah, it's been a tough road. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> I don't have any regrets.
0: Do you find it more fulfilling? I imagine there's more work involved, but do you find it more fulfilling to be a one-man show when it comes to all of that?
1: Yeah, it's kind of exhausting, but it, like I've, I've learned a lot. Sounds cheesy saying that, but you, yeah, you really learn a lot about how to run a business. You know, when, like, there's no one else doing it for you. You have to do everything yourself. And so, yeah, I've I've learned to just, like, sort of not take anything for, for granted. You know, sometimes, you know, people, even some friends of mine, actually, like, they've worked with labels and they've never known otherwise. And they just don't seem to, like, have very good, like, marketing abilities or business savvy and stuff like that. Because, like, they've always had a label just do everything for them. And so... Yeah, I think like it's been tough for me, and I still just, you know, sometimes I fantasize about being on like Sony or like some big label that could like really, really propel me. Although I'm sure it will never happen. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that hasn't been my case, which is fine, and I've I've learned a lot from doing everything myself, and that's a good thing. It makes everything feel more like, like grassroots, kind of yeah.
0: So. Surviving the game is currently a vehicle to release music for Devours and your side project, The Golden Age of Wrestling. What plans do you have in the works to expand your roster?
1: Good question, James. Yeah, so I don't have a lot going on with it. It was a really fun project during COVID, uh, because there were still a lot of musicians struggling to get their music out there uh, and like releasing music during COVID that like virtually no one was was hearing because like there weren't shows happening in Vancouver and so I I sort of I knew all throughout COVID that I didn't really have like the resources or the means to release people's music so I didn't have a a big vision of like I want to turn this into an empire and release like vinyl for my friends like I just I don't have the means to do that and so I kind of turned it into an opportunity to make uh, like local playlists and for yeah for about a, a year and a half to two years I was I made maybe something like 20 or so local playlists with with different themes to try to like help get my like friends and and people who I'm not even friends with but just like local musicians who I believe in uh to try to like get their names out there a little bit uh but yeah currently I um I'm not doing a ton with the label it's enough to have two different musical projects and try to like make money in Vancouver like I just don't have time (laughs) So yeah, nothing huge is happening with surviving the game.
0: It's mostly just me trying to like survive my own life in Vancouver. Fair enough. Your previous release, Escape from Planet Devourers, was a very dramatic break from the Iconoclast era. Where do we find the Devourers character on Homecoming Queen? What is he dealing with on this record?
1: Ooh. Uh, Yeah. So Escape from Planet Devourers was a little bit of like the end of a trilogy. And there was a lot of sort of metaphoric, metaphorical stuff happening with, like, Devourers being a Galen character, like, creating this Galien utopia, uh, this gay utopian planet called Planet Devourers, which is very uncreatively named. Uh, but, yeah, and, like, that that last album was sort of about, like, the planet exploding and me having to, like, return to Earth, um, which was all sort of a metaphor for, like, my, like ambition in the music industry you know of just trying to like shoot for the moon and then it just like not really getting to the heights that I hoped it would and it all sort of crashing down like my mental health was absolutely horrible when I wrote that album and when it came out and I was just like yeah you know what I'm like in my mid-30s now maybe I should quit you know (laughs) like you can it's very very hard like Vancouver is quite the grind any any city in Canada is, uh, is hard but um yeah, with Homecoming Queen, it's it's meant to be a little bit of, like, a reset button of me, uh, like, like, the character coming back to Earth and trying to, f- like, start over again as, like, someone in their late 30s now being like, okay, how do I move forward with my life? And so the album is a little bit about, like, reflecting on your past and present and trying to find direction and future, and it's about, like, life transitions and recovering after like a mental breakdown,
0: basically. Would it be safe to say then that uh, Escape from Planet Devours is very much a COVID album, whereas uh, Homecoming Queen is more of a post-COVID album? Okay, that's really interesting that you
1: ask that because that's what it, it might seem like. Uh, Escape from Planet Devourers was finished. I finished that album before COVID happened. Oh, and it just so happened that there was like an interesting parallel of like the world falling apart and. Like it it seemed as though I wrote it about COVID when it was me just uh, having like a breakdown about my life in the music industry. That's what that album was about. Whereas Homecoming Queen is the COVID album. I started writing it at the very beginning of COVID. I moved back in with my parents for a little bit. And hence, again, why it's called Homecoming Queen was (laughs) because quite literally, I like moved back home and then also went to my 20 year high school reunion which was crazy. So there was a little bit of like reflecting on the the, the past and just having this like time out which we all experienced mm-hmm. during COVID. Our lives just stopped. All of the momentum that I felt with my career just died. And I was like, cool, I don't know what I'm doing. And so, yeah, COVID was awful <laughs> for me. It was two very, very terrible years of my life.
0: Understatement of the year. <laughs> and so,
1: so, yeah, I think this album was me trying to just make sense of what direction to to go in and so yeah but i just i don't want the album to sound really depressing and so i made it pretty like poppy and catchy (laughs)
0: yeah i I would say definitely it it's not as dark as escape from Planet of ours yeah which Yeah, which is
1: strange because like i was in a darker place when i made homecoming queen but i was trying to lift myself out of it by making more like colorful sounding stuff
0: Yeah, I've uh, I found that with a a, a couple artists they've had on the show where they uh, have said like, oh yeah, like you know they they're putting out music that sounds like much more positive and happy, and they're like, yeah, I was really fucked up when I wrote that. Yeah, shit.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Like I, if I'm going through something really hard or traumatic or something that and very recent, I typically can't turn it into like good art. I need distance from it. I need to actually be in a better headspace. Um. And so, yeah, you know, if I just go through a breakup and then try to write a song two days later, the lyrics will be like, I hate you. Like, why did you break my heart? Like, it's so some it's too it's shit. too real and <laughs> yeah. too recent. Yeah. Like, I need a bit of distance from it. Mm-hmm. and I need to be in a better headspace in order to write dark stuff. So interestingly, like over the past few months of just waiting for this new album to come out, I've been working on some demos for like future Devours things. And I've been in a bit of a, bit of a better headspace this this year. And so the new stuff is like sounding, like very brutal and very Ooh. dark. <laughs> like, like <laughs> one of you... them is like a
0: metal song. Basically, it's Ooh. like yeah, sounding
1: pretty crazy. Yeah,
0: I'll I'll, I'll get to that because that's certainly something I noticed. Uh, in general, <laughs> what were your goals for Homecoming Queen compared to the previous uh, projects, and do you feel you were able to achieve them?
1: Um, I think that my yeah, it's, it's sort of like a cheesy answer, but my goal is to always be honest in. My music and be honest about where I'm at in like my my gay life and dating and my insecurities and stuff. I've always tried to make it a pretty like raw and like honest project Uh, in terms of like industry stuff. I've let it go. You know, there's there's always a dream of just, like, getting nominated for Polaris or, like, getting a booking agent where I can play, like, easily outside of Vancouver and stuff like that. You know, like, the dream is never totally dead for, for like, musicians who are ambitious and who are still passionate. But in terms of, yeah, like, I knew that I would be releasing it myself. I haven't worked with, like, a publicist or anything. It's just, it's completely DIY. And so, yeah, I didn't really have any goals with, with that. I guess it was just to, like put it on vinyl and try to get my friends to buy it. (laughs) Stuff like that. Which I've
0: heard you've had some initial success with that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I'm thrilled. Yeah. The the vinyl showed up a few days late and I was definitely stressing because I have my release show coming up really soon as well as a a handful of other shows coming up. And I'm like, Oh, it would be nice to have the records. Mm -hmm. I'm freaking out because they're really, really expensive to produce and manufacture. And so, uh, but yeah, like as of this this morning, the first hundred have sold out, and I'm gonna announce the next batch and next color design soon. I guess when this interview airs, they will always they will already be uh, listed on my like Instagram, I
0: guess, or maybe already sold out. Who knows? Uh, yeah. <laughs> my wildest dreams, maybe. Optimism, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. With four albums released, uh, you of course have a very well defined sound for Devours. What do you do to keep uh, things interesting for yourself as a songwriter? I ask because uh, I noticed with Plant Devourers and Homecoming Queen, some of the songs uh, have more of a metallic edge to them. Like I point to Reverse Ombre and Hairspin, for example. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think that
1: it's important to be sort of like, how should I describe it? Um, like it's good to have a little bit of a formula. You know, like the whole in terms of song structure and stuff, like the whole intro, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, et cetera, whatever. Like it works for a reason, you know, like and so I I try to keep that in mind and then also know how to just like make little tweaks on it, like throwing two choruses into one song or things like that. I, f- I find that really, really fun. I've always loved writing songs and I try to not just get complacent and just rely on like, well, I know that like people just want the like you know, a whistle hook and a chorus. Like, I, it's, yeah, like I think writing like super basic pop comes pretty easily to me. And so I'm, I try to challenge myself and make, you know, like a, about a month ago, I wrote a new song that's like seven minutes long. And it, it's good to, yeah, try to, to like keep challenging my, myself, but also like remember the elements that people seem to like about the music, you know, like people seem to care about what I have to say. Like the lyrics are important, and I think that to dance,
0: <laughs> so people like upbeat stuff. I don't know speaking of which your lyrics can be direct while biting and somewhat sarcastic at at times. Uh, I point to Yoshi's Revenge off of Plant devourers. devours. It's an <laughs> angry yet funny takedown of a toxic ex, especially on the chorus. yeah, um, I also noticed uh on uh, jacuzzi My Stonewall off of Homecoming Queen pokes fun at contemporary gay culture how does humor factor into your music or am I reading uh, something into this? No,
1: no, they're meant to be funny. I think okay, a lot of my good. lyrics are kind of like biting and sarcastic and uh, so yeah. And like some of my song titles are really like weird and silly. So yeah, I have a, I have a sense of humor for sh- for sure. I I would like to think that all parts of my personality come out through my music. There's, there's light and there is dark and there is moody and there is sometimes happy. And then there is like, weird and abstract and yeah so you're you're not reading too far into it james like it's it's meant to be funny yeah jacuzzi my stonewall is a pretty important one on this album i think that i was just thinking a lot about like survivor's guilt when i wrote that song because the first half of it is meant to just sort of poke at like just how mainstream uh like gay culture is now especially for like for white men um it just feels very like hedonistic and a lot of guys who are like 40 and up just don't seem to like have much of a purpose other than like getting super rich and partying and stuff like that and so that's a part of what the song is poking at but then also the, the back half of the song is a bit more sobering and it's more of a reflection on like wow <laughs> like wow we're really lucky to be alive right now there's a bit more of like a political angle on a few of the songs on this album actually devours has never been like a hugely political project but i think that it's like going in that direction a
0: little bit and i I suppose in certain instances humor is used as a way to i guess more maybe not positively but um react to negative things in your life in a more healthy way um yeah i don't know like back in my 20s i wrote a lot
1: of lyrics that were extremely serious and earnest and looking back on them i'm like oh they're not like they're a little bit too on the nose and so i think that sometimes writing lyrics that are a little bit sort of like funny or sarcastic are i don't know i just that's sort of like my preferred way of writing now like i'm not sure how to describe yeah well it's
0: like um when it comes to, I mean, there's almost a fine line when it comes to earnestness, right? You want mm-hmm. yeah, to be like, I'm, I'm being honest about my, my feelings that I'm expressing in the song, but you'll want to, you, 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 you kind of have to be clever about it. You can't be yeah, like... Ex- well said. Use, that's, that's exactly yeah, it. Yeah. You can't use cliches. Yeah, <laughs> <or> and <laughs> I, like I still
1: that. do my best to avoid those, you know. Sometimes I write lyrics down and then I'm like, oh, nope, they're too like... Heard that before. Emo, Yeah, exactly. So like lyrics are, they've never been like my easiest sort of task to to write but yeah i'm trying it's taken me 38 years always trying to be a better lyricist for sure
0: i think people underrate how hard and how important it is to have lyrics for oh my your, god yeah for your songs yeah
1: yeah yeah it's hard to avoid cliches to to write lyrics that aren't basic and for people to actually say something right like i grew up in the with like a lot of nineties music where the lyrics were super just angsty and vague. And I grew up listening to Radiohead where it's just like, I don't want to bash them. I'm I'm sure like a lot of Radiohead's songs were about specific things, but it was more sort of like abstract or the feelings or words tied together. And and nowadays I think that like the world is a bit more political and um, yeah, it's like important to have something to say in your music. For, for sure. But I didn't necessarily grow up listening to music like like that. Right. So it's been. Yeah, it's always a, a challenge to write good lyrics. <laughs> yeah.
0: Sure. You'll even think of bands of that era, the only band that immediately comes to mind in terms of like, oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. And you're really angry about it would be like Rage Against the Machine. Yeah. And they're amazing. Yeah. Love them. But yeah, like, uh, you know, you're wearing a a, in utero shirt right now. And I know with (laughs) Nirvana, I like, uh, you know, obviously love Kurt Cobain, love Nirvana, one of my favorite bands ever. But Kurt, even at times, you're like, oh, I I understand what feeling you're expressing with the, but the words are like, there's some word salad going on. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And that's what I grew up loving was just like word salad. Like I didn't really care about the lyrics. I just cared about the energy and I cared about like the riffs and the hooks and stuff like that. So So yeah, it's been like a long journey to try to be a good writer, like in terms of writing lyrics and stuff. Yeah, I I feel like lyrics are really, really underratedly important. And so, yeah, and I I kind of wish not to like dog anyone in Vancouver, but I wish that more local artists were focusing on lyrics. I don't know. I feel like there are just hundreds and hundreds of very, very technically good bands in Vancouver who aren't really saying anything. That would be... My wish. <laughs> a nice change in Vancouver.
0: Yeah. Maybe one day. <laughs> we yeah, can no, all dream. <laughs> yeah. You've released a couple of very well-produced music videos for this album cycle that notably don't feature devours in the footage. Yeah. Would you say that you've stepped up your game when it comes to this visual side of promoting your music? Stepped up my game? I would like to think so.
1: I don't have money. <laughs> I do not have money to hire a big team of people to produce videos for the Iconoclast album cycle, I did. I had saved up some money, paid everyone appropriately for their their work. I was in the music videos. I think they got a few thousand views and I was like, wow, that is so expensive. It's so much work to just like, (laughs) to make a video. And so this time around, I'm like, you know what? Let's lower the stakes. I don't have a budget or a label or anything to help me like fund these music videos. And so I actually went, scavenged the web and um, made these music videos myself from like stock footage. I just like stitched them all together to try to make stories out of them. But yeah, that's why I'm not in the videos. (laughs) So kind of a similar approach that you
0: took with uh, Golden Age of Wrestling. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's really, really similar. And so,
1: yeah, I mean, visual content is important. Uh, But yeah, wow. It's so discouraging when you're... I mean, to, to see a music video on YouTube and stuff and to have like the cinematography look like good quality or whatever, it costs like thousands and thousands. Mm-hmm. Some of these music videos that you see on like nowadays are like 50,000 upwards for a video that just looks basic. Yeah. It's not even like super like Nicki Minaj style videos. It's like just basic videos. It's, it's so expensive and to get so few views from it on YouTube. It's like, ugh. what are the... Ch- like what's the point
0: <laughs> that, that's something i find you know when i'm playing like youtube roulette with my roommate like oh hey this song this artist this or whatever <laughs> sometimes i find when i'm watching music videos going like wow that looks expensive i'm not even thinking about like the content of the video itself yeah it's more just like how did they afford that but you're like oh yeah they're on a major <laughs> yep. for example pretty much or like, you know they're getting money from the label to do that so yeah yeah, like
1: even the videos that I've shot bef- before where I'm in the video, it costs uh, upwards to at least like 1500 to 2000 to just shoot a video of like me standing in a room. Right? Yeah, just it's for like people's use- time and the lighting equipment. It's, it's just, exactly. Like yeah. it's so, so expensive to get like, yeah, again, like so few like views or so little like circulation from it. It just feels, yeah, like not really worth it. But for young bands, if anyone's listening to this, it's still worth trying right
0: (laughs) yeah it's it's the
1: um like when you're starting out it's absolutely worth trying you never really know if things will catch on yeah
0: and i like i i love music videos and i love when bands like and i don't think music videos will ever ever die but that's certainly been something that i've thought about it's just like the the value of them considering you know it's not the same sort of promotional vehicle that it was when say you know mtv Ruled, yeah i miss everything. much music like i yeah. grew up
1: religiously watching much music and i always fantasized about like that's what my adulthood's gonna be is like me just getting onto much music and that was like my life goal basically and nowadays you know i, I don't want to sound like a dinosaur saying this but like th- th- things have changed so much like, like music videos yes they're still sort of like, like useful but now it's like people just have tiktok and they just make videos of five seconds of a song on tiktok and like the the medium like it's changed a a bit people still like the idea of watching some sort of video with music in it aka like why tiktok is is Mm -hmm. so huge but yeah to just spend like a hundred grand on like a professional mtv video just feels like it's for like the one percent on introscope yeah nowadays yeah it's like not worth it otherwise
0: are are you in on tiktok at all have you cracked that code oh no no no
1: i'm not yeah Not even on Twitter, but I am on Instagram, and I'm on Scruff and
0: Grinder. Y'all can find me there. Have you ever tried, because I've seen some artists do this, have you ever tried to uh, promote your music through uh, those dating apps? No. No, I'm not encouraging too, that behavior. I just I know it's like <laughs> it's too cringy. Like, I can't fair enough. <laughs> yeah, it's just the something. game
1: world's not that big in this city. And like sometimes, yeah, if I am on a dating app, like people will write to me and be like, oh, I recognize you or something like that. Yeah. So I guess I, I don't need to like try too hard to mm. just like make a whole profile on there and be like look at me i'm Devourers." like i check just, out my album i prefer to like not
0: fair to, enough to do that. <laughs> you've uh remixed songs for uh vancouver's jody Glenham and where's from edmonton and yeah. re- have recorded singles with keller uh Calarissa and total chroma yeah what do you find rewarding about collaborating with other artists especially in the local scene oh my god i need to do a lot more collaborating
1: i feel like that's the direction i need to go in uh mainly because writing stuff it's nice to do everything solo because you get to like be in control of stuff and not have to compromise your vision but it gets lonely like performing solo is so lonely (laughs) i've been thinking about that recently like should i just like get a drummer or something like it gets lonely making music alone is lonely. So yeah, collaborating is fun. It's good to just have different people's ideas and to acknowledge that I'm not the best at everything or anything, right? Sometimes I'll hear like Calarissa, for instance, it's like light years ahead of me, such an amazing singer that I can't replicate. When I try to sing my own songs, I usually am just like, oh, I hate my voice. But yeah, to be able to just uh discover other people's talents and like know their strengths and to work with them and so, yeah, I think that, like, moving forward, uh, it, it truly doesn't really seem like Devours is, like, going to blow up at this point. It's just, like, me doing it for, for like, my little Vancouver audience. And so, move, like, moving forward, if I want to, like, do more stuff in the music industry or whatever, I think that it would have to be, like, producing for other people and collaborating with people. So, yeah, that's probably the direction I need to go in is, like, yeah, meeting, meeting new people and working with them.
0: A lot of exciting opportunities there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And Vancouver
1: is so talented. Like, even if I just stay in Vancouver, there's there's so there's so many new artists in this city that have cool voices or who have, like, special uh, abilities and stuff. Yeah. So I am inspired by this, by the talent in this city.
0: Yeah. And on this podcast and also in um, other, you know, publications and interviews you've done, you've been very vocal about your experience as an artist living in Vancouver Mm -hmm. What makes the Vancouver music scene unique to you for better or for worse? Uh, That's a good question. I don't really think that Vancouver is that
1: unique. Um, I've spent time like in my 20s, I was living in Montreal for three years. And so that was sort of like my big first like experience in in a major city, like a major music and arts city, sort of like learning about the culture and the the music community there. And then moving to Vancouver, um, there's there's so much talent here. Like Vancouver is amazing. I think it's just, it's just as talented as Toronto and and Montreal. Um, But I think that Vancouver is kind of like a hope. I don't want to call it hopeless. I don't want this to like sound depressing, but it's, it's a really hard city because it's expensive. And also it's almost impossible to tour out of the city because we're so geographically like off to the coast and like isolated here. And so,
0: um, Wait, what was the question again? What do I think of Vancouver's music scene? Oh yeah, scene? what do you think makes <laughs> makes the music scene unique or it can be just a general like yeah what's, yeah, what's
1: unique is that it just feels like we're in our own universe. Right? Like we're we're very like isolated off to the coast. It feels like the rest of Canada doesn't really care about Vancouver's music scene or look to us as like a music hub of like, "Oh, what's going on in Vancouver?" Like no one cares. And so, yeah, we just sort of have our own hierarchy and we have our own like world that we create here and so much of vancouver is underground it feels like about 95 percent of the music scene is underground it's so hard to track it it's so hard to like know all the bands because yeah it just feels like the wild wild
0: west out here speaking to the mission statement of the show is really just like and that was something that um yeah the geography especially i can't do anything about that population density can't do anything about that but like yeah using this show is like, well, I'm going to harness like a podcast. Yeah. You know, modern media medium to like get out to people. Also inexpensive as well.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And like the Vancouver music scene is very resilient. You know, if you look at a festival like music waste that are, they're almost like 30 years in the running now. And like, it's, there's no corporate sponsorship and stuff. It's just like people who care about the scene and who like volunteers, entirely volunteer run and organized and, so yeah, like Vancouver, it's always going to be a hard city and it always has been a hard city, I'm sure. Uh, but yeah, like there's a lot of, there's a lot of cool people here. There's a lot of, there's always going to be an amazing music scene
0: here. Like there's a lot of art and music and you just have to like look a little bit harder for it. For sure. I think it says something and I obviously was happy about this, that a lot of bands stayed together during COVID. There weren't that many that broke up that I observed. Oh, I observed a lot okay. <laughs> that broke up. Yeah, maybe it's just the like, ones almost that were on my <laughs> like almost radar, none but... of my friends
1: play music anymore. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> but that is tough. Uh, maybe for like the the younger generation, yeah, they're just like let's keep let's keep going, uh, which is which is great. But yeah, I feel like Vancouver is is a transient city like some people especially people in their 20s they're coming and going but not as much as a city like Montreal where it's like I met hundreds of people when I lived in that city and then I would have like four month friendships and then they would move away right like when you're in a city that isn't very like open to anglophones and then you're in like this university city where you're you're coming and you're going and uh, I feel like Vancouver a lot of people move here and stay here. You know, because yeah. it's like sunny and like this is their vision of a beautiful life because there's mountains and stuff. So. So, yeah, I feel like there, there's there's always going to be people coming and going because it's a major city. But uh, yeah, it's funny just getting to know a lot of like the the musicians in my generation, I guess. I, I don't want to sound super old saying this, but like people in like their mid 30s and stuff. And yeah, they've whenever a new band comes up, I'm like, oh, there's a new band in town. But they've it's all like members of the same like oh. the same people who have been here for 15 uh. years and who've played with seven other bands and stuff. And so, uh, yeah. So I find that there isn't a, a huge like turnover here. And COVID's been the huge, the hugest shock ever. Mm-hmm. Been, like, oh my God, there's like hundreds of new like 21-year-olds in the scene. Yeah, it's exciting. Now, yeah, it's exciting. Yeah, it's a little bit like I'm trying not to be insecure over mm-hmm. it. But as like one of the oldest people seemingly in the scene, I'm like, whoa, I'm getting old. Yeah, wow. Well, I
0: mean... <laughs> Uh, i've been feeling that as well playing have shows you? where okay. i'm just like yeah there's we, a lot we, of really young people yeah we played right a show now. recently and it was if if our producer and his uh his friends hadn't shown up i was like i might have been the oldest person in that room yeah. so It's okay i'm fine with that i'm i i want to be playing for 18 19 year olds because that's just who you yeah, want to be they're, playing they're shows cool. for, but like those yeah. people are
1: cool and they're enthusiastic and invested and they want to discover new stuff. And so, so yeah, like I'm, I'm all for it, but yeah, it was really eye opening last fall. Cause I was asked to uh, judge um, Shindig, like C- CITR, oh, nice. like battle of the bands just with, with a few other uh, people who work at CITR. And, everyone was really good so like the new crop of talent is fantastic in vancouver but oh my god yeah some of the bands were like 19 i was like how are you even in this venue right now like it was really young I so yeah, vancouver's music scene is is young i think it's a good exciting city for young musicians it's like <laughs> it gets tough when you get a little older but mm-hmm. i don't want to be depressing right now for young bands it's great yeah
0: You've composed music for documentaries, podcasts, and video games. Mm-hmm. What has been your favorite project to date? Devourers
1: and the golden age of wrestling.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Honestly, yeah. A lot of that okay. stuff
1: was just sort of like some of it was corporate. A lot of it was in my late 20s where I was like, well, I can't really make it anywhere in the the indie music world. So I should just sort of like try to get in however I, I can. So, yeah, some of it was sort of like corporate work, freelancing. Um I've done some music editing for TV shows, which has been cool. Um, I think that there was one documentary I worked on called, called Trans Canada, uh, which was maybe 10 years ago, which felt really good at the time. Like nowadays in, in the media that we're hearing a lot more about transgender people, which is great. But at the time it felt like it was a little bit less common when I, when I was working on this documentary. And so it would just sort of go into like small towns in Alberta and stuff like that. And, get to know these these people who are transitioning and I got to make some music for that. So so that was a very like fulfilling project to
0: work on, yeah. What's your favorite film, TV, or video game soundtrack and why?
1: Uh, favorite video game soundtrack for sure is uh, Donkey Kong Country 2 Diddy's Conquest on Super Nintendo by, I think his name is David Wise. I haven't heard it in a while, but yeah, it was hugely influential for the golden age of wrestling. Um, I'm not really a gamer Now I still play Mario Kart, but I don't really play other games. Um, For, okay, what's my, like, favorite movie? Uh, Candyman. The original Candyman has been really influential Mm -hmm. because Philip Glass made this, like, gothic, really freaky um, score for it. And I own the cassette, and (laughs) I'm totally obsessed with him and that whole soundtrack. And then what was the other one? TV? What's a TV influence? Oh, I don't know. I still watch Survivor. Survivor has some good music.
0: Yeah, it is Uh, good. It's good.
1: um, When was the last time you watched Survivor, James?
0: Oh, it must have been when I was still, uh, when I was last time I was living with my parents because my mom was watched it like religiously. Like that's her show. Do you think that was like season one?
1: (laughs) We're on season 44 now.
0: Yeah, I'm going to say I probably last caught a couple episodes Probably in the tens or twenties or something like that. So sure. okay. yeah, but yeah, still going strong. It's still it's going. Crazy. Yes. shockingly. Yeah. yeah, I I watch it every week. Actually, with uh,
1: do you know Jen who is in like the Courtneys and Big Rig? I know th- can't
0: say I've met her, but I'm of course familiar with the Courtneys.
1: Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. So Jen is like a diehard Survivor fan, and we vote on like who should win. Uh, like we're in this like Survivor like it's sort of like fantasy football leagues. You know, when you vote on people oh, and yeah. like bet on it
0: uh yeah so like we we are in this thing together and we, nice we watch Survivor. so I, I do remember and this is a fan favorite for a while i uh, do you remember that uh the bearded guy rupert oh yeah. season seven seasons okay it was as far Islands. back as season seven holy yeah yeah because i know they're not moving around anymore they're they're doing the show at this that one same location now i know now yeah, well. it's getting boring yeah <laughs> i remember yeah because like i think they did it in africa and there's like some ge- genuine concern about like animals I'm, and stuff exactly which yeah. is cool like yep. i don't know it makes it more more exciting but i know uh, yeah
1: it, it definitely is like past its prime but i just can't help it
0: yeah <laughs> i i always thought though because i don't watch a lot of reality tv tv at all but i've always had um some preference towards ones where it's like it's kind of got a game show model and like Survivor's yeah. got like the best model for that totally that type of show yeah for sure what do you watch um are you a big tv watcher yeah like i'm almost done uh better call saul oh Um, my god yeah
1: i've been thinking about rewatching breaking bad it's been 10 years since i watched it and i'm like oh 10 year anniversary this summer was like when i originally watched it and i've been thinking about getting back into it i i watched a bit of breaking uh sorry um better call saul Season one, I think, and just maybe I wasn't in the mood for it and I fell off of it. But yeah, I've heard it's fantastic.
0: Yeah, yeah. I've, uh, my girlfriend hasn't seen Better Call Soul or Breaking Bad or Better Call Soul, so oh. that would be a good excuse to revisit uh, Breaking Bad. Yeah, yeah. You've uh, received critical acclaim from a number of media outlets and have been a featured artist in quite a few local festivals. What does success mean to you and has your definition of success changed? Kind of have a feeling of where. Answer might go with that. That's a but. really
1: yeah, that's a really good question. Um Yeah, I think that I was really like naive, I guess, when I was younger. You know, I I used to have a, a vision of being like, Oh yeah, like being on much music or like being on tour and being a big famous name or something would mean success and it doesn't i don't know like at this stage in my life i think that having real relationships with with people um is the most important thing um making music that is honest and that i can like be proud to put my name on is is really important uh i think that that's success uh yeah so it's it's hard to say, you know. I I still sometimes wonder, like, am I am I successful? I don't really know. You know, I had like big ambitions when I was younger and haven't necessarily like hit those highs that I ex- expected to. But um, yeah, I've I've learned that a lot of the stuff in the music industry has to do with like really lucky timing and trends and being like it's a very superficial industry. I sort of learned that working with the label as as well. You know, they were certain asking me to do certain things where I was like, Oh, that doesn't feel like organic and so so yeah, I think that like as time goes on, I'm I'm learning how to just like be happy with the little following that I have and yeah, proud of the music that I've put out. So
0: I don't know. <laughs> That's a good answer. What does the rest of twenty twenty-three have in store for Devours? Mm, quite a few shows. Yeah, the summer's gonna be pretty busy.
1: Um I really want to play shows with like some of the new crop of like young musicians in Vancouver, you know, like I just want to stay active and, um, yeah, probably write some new stuff throughout the summer. I have a job that's starting in a week or two, uh, like doing some music editing for a TV show. And so I'll be a little bit busy trying to actually just make money, um, this year. Um, and then with the golden age of wrestling, that, I've I'm done a new album. Oh wow. For that. Yeah. So it will, I'm not sure when it'll come out, maybe like end of this year, beginning of next year or something like that. But that'll sort of be like the next big project is just like getting the art ready for that. So, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Keeping yourself busy. So that's great. Yeah. Trying to, I get really depressed if I don't have like a creative project
0: on the go, I just (laughs) sort of feel listless. So I shut down, the podcast for maybe two weeks during lockdown and then i was just like nope nope we gotta i gotta keep this going otherwise yeah. i'll go crazy and good for
1: you by the way i'm so impressed with like everything that you've done it's been so consistent you're so incredibly consistent with this and it's a labor of love yeah same they- with devourers in golden age you know what i mean like it's just you have to love doing it because mm-hmm. like sometimes you just don't really feel like people are listening and it gets
0: to be kind of a grind but yeah like good Good for you for keeping it up
1: because it gets hard.
0: Yeah. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, uh, Just uh, as a bit of insight, just just, thank God for video, video calling technology and for the internet and stuff like that with this. I think uh, they think if the, if I was my age living in the nineties and there's a pandemic, I think things would have been far more challenging for everybody.
1: Yeah. God, that would have sucked. Yeah. (laughs) But I I don't know. I
0: was a baby at the time. So that (laughs) sucked. Um, what local bands or artists would you recommend we check out or bring on the show for a future episode?
1: Mm, one band that I have my eye on, they're quite talented. I like them quite a bit. They're called Soy Joy. Does that name ring a bell? They almost won Shindig.
0: Seen that name on a poster. Not too familiar.
1: Yeah, name's they're, funny. They're good. They're cool. Uh, it seems like Gadfly has some buzz right now. Oh, I think, yeah, I think they're, yeah. they're very good live. Um, there's a very interesting band right now called M01E. No mm. They also almost won Shindig. And they're very, very young, Uh, exciting, just sort of like noisy punk, but strange and creative. And their live shows, they get like the audience involved. They just sort of like turn the mic around and just like have audience members do the vocals for them instead. Like it's it's pretty creative. I I think that the singer is maybe a ubc student and they okay. sometimes jam in like this big parkade at ubc if you follow the channel oh, yvr underground
0: i have seen footage of yeah that yeah yeah That's yeah, the band that yeah they're kind of doing um oh how you describe it it's almost like yeah performance art sort yeah, of stuff yeah exactly yeah, yeah but like it feels really
1: fresh right now i'm i'm pretty into them uh but yeah their name it just looks like mole like m zero a one and then an e i thought that they pronounced it mole for like a year but apparently it's pronounced m no one e Hmm.
0: discovered that in chindig not to be confused with the the danish extreme metal band Mool. (laughs) Uh, yeah exactly (laughs) yeah so
1: yeah there's some like there's some cool stuff in vancouver right now i want to know your answer Oh, in terms of who you should check out, yeah. Um, are there see. a few people that you would
0: recommend to, to me? Yeah, Just like people who you think are. Um, doing there's, cool a band, there's a band called Slightest Clue that's on the up and up. They're really good. Yeah, I've heard yeah. of them. Okay, I haven't yeah. seen them them live yet, but okay, cool. yeah. Um, they're they're a band that uh, I know. My band would love to love to play a show with. Okay. Um, let's see. Oh, Julian Lavoie, another
1: um, name that yes rings a bell, but don't know don't know julian yeah well, music.
0: uh my band's buddies <laughs> buddies with him but uh he does how would i describe it it's very jazzy he has a at like a masterfully uh talented band oh, wow. like, he's got okay. like he's got keys all over it he's got a sax player um yeah it's like it's very uh it's very intricate but it's also very like are you familiar with the group puma blue
1: not well enough. I think I've heard the name. Yeah, no worries. Yeah. Okay.
0: yeah, it's just, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's like jazzy rock stuff. It's really, wow, really cool. solid. Um, I'm trying to think of like other stuff that's really jumped out at me. Oh, uh, Brat Boy. We had them on the show this season. Yeah, they're yeah. fun. Yeah, cool. Brat Boy yeah. are fun. Yeah. yeah, good stuff. Yeah, they just put out their album. I had to play a show that night of their
1: release show and I couldn't be there, but it looked really fun. At, yeah. At Green Auto, I think yeah, it was.
0: I wanted to go to that show too. I was, I had another engagement myself, but okay. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Vancouver is just like, doing all right Mm -hmm. yeah there's lots of good stuff tons of stuff going on and yeah i think we'll we'll wrap it up there cool jeff thank thank you for having me james this was fun thanks for listening i'm your host james olson before we close this episode off with one more song by our featured guest i just want to let you know that you can keep up with what we're up to on facebook and instagram at pacific sound radio and on our website at PacificSoundRadio.com. If you like the show, you can give us a 5-star rating and a positive review on your podcast platform of choice that lets you leave reviews. This is Jacuzzi My Stonewall.
1: I guess we're mainstream now. Let's move out to the bird.